Well, it is a joy to be here at Anchor Baptist Church and to meet your pastor, Brother Rice. Uh, you've sent students, you support the school. I thank you for that. I've known Brother Jacobs for some time, but it's just good to be here. And so I, it's just not good. I lost weight before I started the summer tour because of my blood pressure, and now I'm going to have to go back home and go on another diet. So anyway, it's a joy to be here this morning. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 today. Uh, I never know, I mean, I, I don't really know what they're going to sing. They have a rotation. But the song they just sang, I thank you for the book, it goes right along with what I'm teaching in Sunday school this morning. I just think it's really, it's, well, it's not a coincidence. It's just how God works things together to make it in sync. And I want to talk about the Bible this morning in Sunday school uh, because I think it's very important that you have it in the days in which we find ourselves. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right into where we're going to be. Lord, thank you today for your people that have come and assembled here in this place. And I thank you for the pastor and the people. And I pray that you'll bless our time as we study your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote just before he died a martyr's death. And one of the things that he stated here in chapter number 3, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's a great passage there. Uh, we're not talking about that this morning, but I would have you know that today I, we're in the last days of the last days. The last days begin when Jesus went back to heaven. So we've been in the last days for almost 2,000 years, but he gives a description of these last days, and he says this down in verse number 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to live for Jesus Christ in this culture, in this day and time, and be salt and light, People aren't going to like you. They're not going to say, good job, keep it up. That's not going to happen, all right? And then he says this here, that evil men and seducers, make sure I read that right there. Yeah, they're going to wax worse and worse. Wax, they're going to increase. They're going to get worse. Things aren't getting better. Now, I want to submit to you today, I'm 56 years old. And I remember 40 years ago when I was a teenager that things weren't good in the United States of America. But I'm telling you, the whole world's changed in 40 years. In fact, it's changed the last 15 years. And if Jesus tarries his coming, it's going to get a lot worse. How can it get worse? <laughs> I don't even want to think about it, but it can get worse. So in the midst of this days in which we find ourselves, I want you to notice what Paul tells Timothy here. In spite of what he says in verse number 13 about the evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived... He's, here's what he says, but continue. Okay, now I want to say that this is not our Sunday school lesson today, and there might turn into a little preaching, I don't know. But I'm just going to tell you, we live in a day and time that it's not the time to start changing horses in midstream. It is not the day and time to say, well, you know, we've done this forever. Let's try something else and see if it'll work to get people to come in. And you know what's amazing? That the people that are changing horses in midstreams and trying to do things different, they're not doing anything different except watering down what they've done. So we're going to talk about this today. So we're going to talk about the Bible, because the Bible is very prominent here in these verses we're going to consider this morning. So I want to remind you of something that you well know, that the Bible, if, you, if you're a Bible reader, the Bible is our spiritual milk. It is our spiritual bread. It is honey. It is meat. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you about me. I like meat. Meat's good. And if you don't, 
I just tell students or some people don't eat meat and that's okay and some do it for whatever reason. And you know, I'm not here to, I'm not here to fuss about that. I'm just here to say this, that's more for me. That's how I feel about it. But you know what? I like meat, but I also like my Bible. I need the Word of God. And no one's spiritual life can be any stronger than their obedience to the Word of God. We have to be obedient to the Word of God if we're going to be what we need to be. The power, please understand this, and I want to remind you, the power is in the book. The power is in the book. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So God's word will not return void. It will always accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. That's what, Bible, that's what the, uh, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 11. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy in these last days that you find yourselves, he even said that 2,000 years ago, but in these last days, continue in what you have learned and what you have been given. And then here's what he's going to do. He's going to give him this exhortation. We're going to talk about that, but then he's going to give him an explanation of some things that he needs to think about and that we need to think about by way of application because I just want to remind you, this isn't long ago and far away in another land. This applies to you and me in 2023 and beyond, what we're going to talk about. All right, so I want you to notice this here in verse number 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So Paul is giving an exhortation to this young man of the faith, Timothy here, and Timothy had learned many of these truths of the scripture from Paul and others. They not only taught him in what we would, call, what we would say outline, but they assured him of its reality. They assured him of the truthfulness of the word of God. And Timothy's need was not to search out new novelties. That's not what he's supposed to do here. He is not trying to, he is not to squander his energies in the things that he's trying to find out. The Bible says he is to continue in what he's learned. I want you to notice that word continue. It's a present active imperative, which means it's a command. You continually do this. All right, so let me tell you about this word continue. It's an interesting word. In our King James Bible, the word that's translated continue is also translated abide 61 times. The same word is translated remain 16 times. The same word is translated dwell 15 times. So you kind of get the idea here when he says you, you, you need to continue, you need to abide, you need to remain, you need to dwell in what you've been taught. You're not supposed to leave what you've been taught, you are to continue. And it demands, listen to this, it demands more than Timothy just continuing in what we would call the fundamentals. It is, it is, it is a call for a commitment to live and abide in what Timothy has learned. Now, I'm looking around this morning, there are people in this room, you've been saved for maybe a short time, and there's people been saved longer than I've been alive, possibly. That's a possibility. We're supposed to remain in what we've been taught. We're not supposed to go looking for something new. And so he, he is given this exhortation here. Now, I have no doubt that uh, Timothy had been taught by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And no doubt they had a tremendous impact upon his spiritual life. By the way, if you're a parent, you can have a tremendous impact upon your children and your grandchildren. I don't have any impact. You can pray for them. 
Amen. You can pray for them, and your prayers can go a lot of places that maybe you can't, and maybe some things you can't do, but you can pray for them. I'm just saying Timothy had that. And notice this. The Bible says Timothy had learned. That is intentional learning by inquiry and by observation. And no doubt he had looked at his mom, and he had looked at his grandmother. No doubt he had learned from Paul. I don't want to take away from that. But he had learned from them. He observed and asked questions. And then he had pursued and has been assured of the truths of Scripture. When it says he's assured of the truths of Scriptures, what does that mean? We're talking about fixed, non-negotiable truths. They're not open for debate. They're not open for discussion. They're not subject to dilution or compromise. We're standing on truth. I've been assured of this. So I was telling the pastor yesterday, uh, I've been preaching, I sent her to preach 42 years ago. And I went to a Bible college that didn't exist anymore for one year. Uh, uh, Tennessee Temple, some people have heard of that. I went there for a year. First day, I mean first day in Old Testament class, the professor gets up and says, now take your pen and mark this word out of your Bible. It doesn't belong there. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do, but I was respectful, but it made me very mad. But here's what I'm saying. I was convinced. I didn't have all the answers about why I used the Bible I used. I'm talking about the King James. But I'm telling you this. No one has ever tried to... I've never been able to be seduced from my Bible. I don't understand. I know people that I've taught and invested in and they go off with some new translation. I don't understand that because I've never dealt with that because I was always convinced I had the truth. So that's what Paul is talking about here to Timothy as he's writing to him. These are things that you're not supposed to compromise or dilute. And so is these strong convictions held with equally, equally strong tenacity that made Timothy a worthy prospect to follow in the, fo in the footsteps of Paul. So Timothy, and by way of extension, everyone in this room, we are, we are encouraged, we are exhorted to continue in what we've known. Because I'm going to submit this to you. This is not the day and time to start saying, well, maybe we should try something different. Let's continue in what we've done. That's the exhortation. I love it. I love it. All right. But this really is what we want to focus on this morning in verse number 15, verse number 16, and verse number 17. He gives him an explanation about the Word of God. All right. And this is something that we all need to be reminded of. So this passage speaks very concisely about the power, because remember the power is in the Word, about the power and the work of God's Word. And primarily there are two areas that I believe that Paul is trying to focus on here for our application today, and I believe what the text is alluding to here. There are two areas where the power and the Word of God really has an effect in people's lives. All right, Let's look here at verse number 15. Let's look at the first area. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Please don't underestimate the power of that verse. I'm going to come back to that. I'm not ready to unload everything right now, but hang on. Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All right? So let me tell you what scripture does. Number one, scripture provides us with the way of salvation. Everybody with me? The way of salvation, instruction for salvation. The Bible is the source of what we would say, saving faith, saving truth. The truth of the word when combined with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, leads to spiritual life. It leads to salvation. 
what it does. The power's in the word. I don't have this. I just thought of this. Uh, there was a man one time, there was a young man. He was trying to get to his church. He couldn't get to his church, and so he ended up in another church. It was a snowstorm outside. The pastor couldn't even make it to this church, and the pastor got up, and he was reading from Isaiah. Uh, in that, I think it's in chapter 45. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And he kept saying that to that young man. That young man, look unto me and be saved. God says, look unto me. He was a fumbling layman, but he had the word of God. And the word of God reached down there and got a hold of Charles Spurgeon's heart. And Charles Spurgeon got saved. Because the power's in the book. The power's not in the pastor. Now the pastor's going to be an instrument. He's going to preach and declare and deliver the word of God. But the power's in the book. It's in the book, all right? So, to make sure I say that. So, the Word is what changes someone's life. And the Word presented by human witness is God's plan for reaching this world with the gospel. He doesn't have another plan. It's us that are human beings. So, Timothy had the privilege of hearing the Word of God, watch this, from a child. From a child. He had been taught and has fully known the Holy Scriptures. Now again, I want to submit, it's no doubt that at his mother, at his grandmother's knees, he heard this according to chapter 1, verse number 5, and he was led to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and no doubt it was their lives that reflected this genuine godliness, this observation that he saw in them. But can I tell you about verse 15? Don't miss this. Verse 15 shows us that the Old Testament makes one wise unto salvation. I thought we had to have the Romans road. There is no Roman roads at this time. It's been written, but I don't know that he has a copy of it. But when he talks about in verse number 15, the Holy Scriptures, what's he talking about? Genesis to Malachi. Primarily what he's talking about. Now, listen, hang on. That applies to the New Testament. But at this time, the New Testament's not even complete. It's not done yet. So we're talking about the Old Testament here. So in the Old Testament, it reveals the holiness, the majesty, and the loving kindness of God and his gracious offer of forgiveness and redemption for sin for those who will trust him and put their faith in what the Lord tells them. If you're seeking his grace and mercy, let me tell you something. There were people in the Old Testament that got grace and mercy from God that did not deserve it. Now, let me make sure I say this here because some people misunderstand this, but the moral law was intended to set a righteous standard which no one could keep. Amen. Which meant that everyone would be damned to hell because no one was capable of keeping the Old Testament law. All the law could do is say, here's the standard, and everybody kept missing the standard because everybody fell short of that standard. And since no one could be made righteous by the law, it rendered everyone guilty before a holy God. Amen. What's men and women going to do? Well, they were therefore in desperate need, listen, of grace and forgiveness. Amen. Sure were. Listen, and God was eager to give it to those who repented and put their faith in him. Is everybody with me? God, I, I'm telling you, oh, People say, oh, I don't like the Old Testament. God is a mean, vengeful God. God's a very loving God in the Old Testament. But he had some very high standards and he had, there's some things. You don't mess with God if he tells you not to do that. 
But he was very forgiving and very loving in the Old Testament. And so, well, somebody says, well, what about those animal sacrifices? Those animal sacrifices made the, made the statement to the people that something has to die and blood has to be atoned, but the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away your sins. But they pictured someone who's coming, the Lamb of God, who was going to be able to take away the sins of the world. So let me give you this. Don't turn, but just write this down. In the parable of the, of the sower, in, I'm talking about Luke's account, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Jesus explained that the seed is the word of God, but there are several types of soil that represent the different ways in which people respond to God's word. And the power of the word of God has always brought salvation but its effectiveness in doing so depends on the condition of each heart. Because God's still the same. And my Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is everybody with me? He wants people to be saved. But the condition of your heart will, will really show if you want to accept it or reject it. But the power's in the book. And how you respond to the word. So let me make sure I say this one more time. i got to move on here. That the heart and soul of effective preaching and evangelism and teaching, can I just tell you, is simply taking the word of God and saying, this is what God's word says. This is how you need to be saved. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. Jesus loves you. He died for you. You need to call upon him. It comes from the word of God. Because the power is in the word of God. So I want to make sure we understand. And oh, 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 hang on, almost missed it. That last phrase there. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is not by works. It's by faith. And you put your faith in a personal savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's how anybody gets saved. Now, if you're sitting here, because I don't know what you're thinking. But maybe there's somebody sitting here today saying, well, I've never been to Bible college. How do you expect me to do that? Well, hang on. I can tell you how to do that. What happened to you? Well, I got saved. How'd you get saved? Well, somebody told me I was a sinner from the Word of God. You know what? All you got to do is tell people what happened to you. You don't have to go to Bible college. Don't let the devil give you an excuse for not being a witness and not passing out tracts and telling people about Jesus because everybody that's saved has a testimony. And the power's in the word. Mm. So scripture provides us and gives us the instruction for how you and I can be saved. I'm thankful for that. But I really think what Paul was really getting down to, and not that that's not important, it is, is verse number 16 and verse number 17. And this is what I want to major on. Because what you and I need and what Timothy needed in his day and time is that the scripture provides us also, listen to this, with sanctification. Okay, hang on here. So let just so we're all on the same page. When you get saved, you are completely justified before a holy God. You're done. When we talk about sanctification, we're talking about you becoming more like Jesus. Well, how, when do I... When do I become completely like Jesus? When you get to heaven. But in the process where you're here on earth and you're using the word of God, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, you are becoming more like your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in your actions, in your attitudes, in your word. You're becoming more like him. So you're justified. 
you're sanctified, but listen, folk, you're not glorified yet. And that doesn't happen until you get to heaven. And your body's resurrected, and you have a brand new body, and you'll be just like him. So there's past, present, and future, if I could say it that way. I'm just as good in heaven when I got justified, when I got saved at seven years of age. I am just as good as in heaven. But listen, I'm in the process of being sanctified and becoming more like Jesus Christ. But one day I'm going to be glorified and I'll be just like him. So we're talking about sanctification here. Okay? So, hang on here. I got a hobby horse I got to jump on, okay? Going to ride it for a minute. So look at this here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right? Did you know that there are some translations of the Bible don't say that? Amen. I wrote it down here. I forget which one it is, but I've, in my class that I teach on bibliology, I bring these and I talk about this. And here's how they say this. All scripture inspired by God. I'm going to say that to you again. All scripture inspired by God. Well, that leaves open the possibility that some of it isn't. Everybody with me? See how they just kind of slip that in there? Just kind of slip that in there so maybe nobody will catch that. And can I tell you, if that is what a Bible said, that translation would be worthless as a reliable guide to divine truth because you and I would never be able to determine what part of the Bible is inspired and what, pipe, what part's not. It's all inspired. Okay? So let me say this. I say this to students every year, and some get real wide eyed. Ah, did he really say that? I really did. From Genesis 1 1 to Revelation 22 21, it's all equally inspired, every bit of it. But it's not all equally interesting. It's not interesting. Okay, you go read 1 Chronicles chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and tell me. Boy, give me a squirt gun. I'm ready to go charge hell. I'm ready to go. Because it's not interesting. But it's inspired. And God had a reason for putting it in there. It's not in there to take up space. So I'm just I'm trying to be honest with you today. Do you, 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 do you always enjoy reading every part of the Bible? No, there's some parts I, I enjoy a lot more. I just finished the book of Revelation yesterday in my Bible reading. I enjoyed that. I started the book, of, started all over again, started Genesis Day. I love that. But I'm going to tell you in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be down in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And that's not going to be the most exciting part of the Bible to read. It's not going to be like reading Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6. Oh, that but it's all part of the Bible and you're supposed to read it. Whether it's interesting or uninteresting or whatever you think, it's God's word and it needs to be read. I just want to throw that out there. So, I want you to think about this. Paul's point that he's going to make here is that the scripture, the scripture that brings and provides salvation must be inspired. Okay? So, there are, there are two adjectives that describes scripture here in this passage. So we're going to talk about these. I want you to see them. Number one, given by inspiration. The scripture that we have is given by inspiration. So this focuses on the authority of the written word of God. All right. So the phrase literally means God breathed. I understand that and I, and I get that. But listen to this. Did you know that God sometimes breathed his words in the human writers of scripture? Let me give you an example. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. 
And so I want to make sure I say this. The men that wrote the Bible, they weren't some kind of a super Christian, but the words they wrote were God's words. They weren't, when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, well, whose words are those? Those are God's words. But God used Moses to write him down. And you could take that through every, and that's why, and I'm not the smartest guy in the room, I don't understand this, and that's why, and I'm not, I'm not setting myself up, I'm not. But if you knew the Greek language, you understand it, you would understand that Paul had his own writing style. But so did Peter. But so did Matthew. But so did John. Oh, why is that? Because they were writing it down, ladies and gentlemen, but the words they wrote were God's words. I want to make sure I say that because it's given by the inspiration of God, all right? So let me make sure I say this, that God's truth flowed through their minds, their souls, their hearts, their emotions, and they wrote down the very words of God because they were God's chosen instruments to do that. So I'm just going to tell you, this is, I believe this is what the scripture says, that God supernaturally, divinely superintended the accurate recording of his divinely breathed word. So there are no mistakes in it. There are no scribal errors. I talked to the pastor about that yesterday. There are no scribal errors in there. If there are things you don't understand, if it says one thing over here, another thing over here, the problem's not with how it was translated. The problem is how you understand it. Amen, Brother Rocky. That's good, because it is. I, I just want to remind everybody of that today. So in a supernatural way, God pro, uh, provided his divine words in human words that any person, even a child, can be led by his spirit to understand sufficiently to be saved, to be born again. So I want to make sure I say this, because this is so important to where we're going. Scripture, first of all and above all, is from God. It's about God. It's his self-revelation to fallen mankind. Everything that God wants us to know about himself, he put in this book. He put in there for us to read and to learn. And in the Bible, God is revealing his truth, his character, his attributes, and his divine plan for the redemption of man. Listen, he does all that, and he made us in his image. Not the monkey. Not an amoeba, okay? You got more to say about that later on, all right? So I want to make sure I say this also. The Bible is certainly not a collection of the wisdom and insights of men. Amen. I think I'm going to write this down. This will be good. No, the Bible is God's truth. It is his word. It is in his own words. That's why the psalmist could say in Psalm 119 and 9, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I love that, all right? Now, let me give this to you. You got time? I got time. I think I can do this quick. Ugh. So let me make sure I say this, and I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to have you turn, but I would like you to write it down and just look at it later in your mind. But let me make this statement, and then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some scripture for this. You need to understand that what God says is what the scripture says. And what the scripture says is what God says. Okay, so here's the passage. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse number three, it would say something along this line here. I don't have it written down verbatim, but it says the Lord said to Abraham. The Lord said. If you were to go to Galatians chapter three in verse number eight, it quotes that verse, but it says not the Lord. It says the scriptures. The scripture saith. Because what God says is what the scripture says and what the scripture says is what God says. And they never contradict. They never go against each other. They are always the word of God. So I want you to get this here real quick, real quick. 
This is good. Oh, this is good. I love it. I love it. Number one, Scripture is inspired and it is inerrant in both, both testaments. In both testaments. Okay? So when he says here all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Let's understand this, that the scriptures that he's talking about here, primarily we're talking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which Timothy had been taught from a child, okay? So I want you to look here at verse 15 and 16, and, and this just makes sense in my mind. I don't know, I, I had a discussion with the pastor who called and asked me a question about the King James, and I explained, my, I explained this is where we're at. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, well, sorry, we're not on the same page. Okay, go pound sand, I don't care. Just do whatever you want to. I started talking to him by that time. Okay, so I want you to notice what the Bible says here. Let's just take it what it says. Number one, we know this. We know that Timothy had the scriptures. He did not have a reliable facsimile. He had the scriptures. Number two, number two, hang on here. He didn't have the originals. Because they didn't exist. By the time that Paul came along, and by the time that Timothy was reading the scriptures, the scriptures were anywhere from 400 to 1500 years old. Well, what were they? Are you ready for this? They were copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies that God providentially watched over down through the centuries so you and I could have a copy. Okay, is everybody with me? Look at one more thing here. This is so good. So those scriptures that Timothy had are said to be inspired. So I can stand up here. Now please listen, I've got to explain this. I can stand up here and say, I've got the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Now, I hope we understand this today. The translators in 1611, they weren't inspired like Moses and Elijah. Okay? But you understand this. That God's Word, when, re when written in Hebrew and parts of the book of Daniel and Ezra and Aramaic and the New Testament in Greek, they had the inspiration of God. And when they were translated and went from one language to another language, they are still God's words. Because the inspiration of the Bible does not evaporate just because you translated it. It's still God's word. Mercy, I wish people could figure that out, but they, they have a hard time figuring that out. But I believe it. I believe it. So, can I just say this real quick? Oh, mercy. The law makes a direct claim for inspiration. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1. God spake all these words. The prophets makes a direct claim. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. I'm just giving you two verses, or one, or a couple of verses for each section. Thus saith the Lord. That's Jehovah there. And then in the writings in 2 Samuel 23, verse number 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. All three parts of the Old Testament claim divine inspiration. It's right there. How about this? I wish I had time to dwell on this. I don't. Did you know that Jesus accepted all the Old Testament? You'll never find one time in the Gospels where Jesus said, a better translation would be. He never said that. But I'll tell you what he did do. Listen to this. He quoted Old Testament verses. Mercy, I wish I had time to run that rabbit track. I don't. He quoted the Old Testament in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. 
He verified the Genesis account of creation in the book of Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, 5, and 6. And he said this, oh mercy, I want to ride on this horse too. He made a male and female. That's good enough for me. Because there's only two. And he, not only that, listen to this. He believed the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Luke chapter 17, verse 28 and 29. He verified the story of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 and 41. He quoted from the book of Isaiah, and the liberals just go to seat on Isaiah and say, I can't be the word of God. And he acknowledged Daniel as a prophet. And he taught and believed in the divine inspiration and infallibility of the Old Testament. In fact, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 35. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Every word's important, ladies and gentlemen. Not only that, listen to this. Scripture is inspired in errant, in and in error in everything it reports and everything it teaches. Well. Now, don't you know that the Bible is not a book of science, and therefore when it touches on science, you can't trust it. Now, there are people that talk like that and believe that. But can I tell you, please listen to this, that the Bible is not a science book, but everywhere it touches on science, it is 100% accurate. Now, I got, I got several of these down here. And by the way, it reports all these things without one contradiction. For example, that he that sitteth on the circle of the earth, the earth is a sphere. That's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22. And I make, I'm making a joke one time, making a joke about flat earth society. Have mercy, there are people out there who really believe that stuff. All you got to do is pick up a King James Bible. It'll tell you it's the circle of the earth. Uh, how about this? In Job chapter 28, in verse number 23, I believe it is 25, that air has weight. Air pressure, it's in the Bible. All you gotta do is read your Bible. How about this? Earth, earth position in space in the book of Job, I think it's in verse, uh, chapter 26 and in verse number seven, he hangs the earth on nothing. It's right there in the Bible. Can I tell you this? Always trust your Bible. Always trust your Bible. It's accurate in its geography. It's accurate in its science. And it's accurate in its history. And if I had time, I wish I did. I don't. I could take you to Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 35 of that passage. And it goes through the history of the nation of Israel two to 300 years before it ever happened. And every bit of it was accurately fulfilled. You can trust your Bible. So I want you to notice this. It's given me inspiration real quick. And it's profitable. Now, what's it profitable for? Well, there's a couple items there. So look at it real quick. Number one, can we say this? I guess we can say this. It's profitable, number one, for doctrine. I don't like to talk about doctrine. Doctrine divides. Yes, the reason doctrine divides is because it defines. And that's, that, being a good Baptist will help you figure that out pretty quick, all right? For doctrine. You know what doctrine is? It's what we believe. Amen. What we believe. What we believe. What your church believes. What your pastor believes. Comes right out of the Bible. Mercy. It's for reproof. And that's how to behave. Reproof is a rebuke. It's in, in order to correct a misbehavior or a false doctrine. The Bible is the instru instrument that the Holy Spirit of God uses to convict us. Amen. 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. And scripture very precisely and very thoroughly penetrates the believer's mind, soul, and heart. And the word of God, oh, listen to this. The word of God has the negative, negative ministry of tearing down and destroying that which is not right in our individual lives. It's given for correction. Correction is how we become and this is the only time that this particular word is used in our New Testament, the Greek word. It refers to the restoration of something that to its original and proper condition. Now in Greek literature, not our Bible literature, it was used of setting upright an object that had fallen down and helping a person back on the right uh, feet after stumbling. Can I tell you, the Word of God will help you to stay on the straight path. It'll, if you fall down, it'll help you to stand up and be everything that you need to be in your life. And then for instruction and in righteousness, and that's how to begin. And instruction is the same word in our King James Bible as chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 7, and nurture, nurture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And it describes how the scripture leads to a holy lifestyle. So let me make sure I say this. I got to end here just pretty quick. Because of television and music and the entertainment ministry, can I tell you, it pretty well corrupts our minds. It affects it. So you know what you need every day? You need to wash your mind with King James washing water. You need it to help you think right, to help you act right, to help you be right, because we are being bombarded by this world in which we live. And I'm going to tell you, I need this old Bible to help me think straight and be right and do what I need to do in my individual life. And then notice this here. Oh, look at this. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Mercy. The individual believer who studies and believes the Word of God is going to be everything they need to be. I, I got that word there, perfect. Listen to this. Complete, capable, sufficient, proficient in everything we're called to be. Can I tell you, everything I need is sufficiently right here in the Word of God. So we're in the last days. So my question is this. Are you reading the Word of God? consistently, faithfully, day in and day out. Are you allowing the Word of God to do what only the Word of God can do in your life? Because I'm here to tell you, you, you can't... Well, I just haven't been able to read it. Well, let me ask you something. What would happen if you went a week without eating physical food? Well, I would lose weight. Yep, that would probably be a good thing. But you don't need to lose weight spiritually. <laughs> you need to dig in the Word of God. I heard a preacher say this years ago, if we fed our bodies like our spirits, we have died of malnutrition many years ago. I'm just, I want to encourage you today, ladies and gentlemen, we need the Word of God to help us be everything we need to be in our life. Let's bow our heads. I thank you so much for your kind attention this morning. And I just want to ask you a question. I'm going to pray and uh, turn it back to the pastor. But how many would be here this morning in this Sunday school time and you say, Brother Rocky, that was a help to me. I really do need to understand. I need to, I need to, I believe the powers in the word, but I just really need to be faithful and consistent and allowing the word of God to do what only the word of God could do. Would you pray for me? Just hold your hand up and write back. Well, God bless you. God bless you this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the word. 
Thank you that it does exactly what it's supposed to do if we'll simply read it. And I pray there are many hands that were risen here in this Sunday school time. Would you bless each need? And would you help each individual to stay consistently and faithfully in reading the Word of God that it might be able to accomplish what it needs to accomplish in their individual life? Would you bless the morning service now in Jesus' name? Amen. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and the piano begins to play. We'll just have a brief invitation, but maybe you want to just thank God for His Word. Boy, what a great message. And how impactful the Word of God is. Well, maybe you just want to thank God that today, in your lap, you hold the very preserved, inspired Word of God. What an amazing thing that is. Maybe God's spoken to your heart because you've laxed off on reading the Word of God. Maybe you've gotten the busyness of life has crept in. Whatever the need, the altar's open. As the piano plays. God's important in our life. It's important in our children's lives. It's important for every person to spend time in the Word of God.